Welcome to the Eyes in Oklahoma podcast. My name is Joe Bettner, and joining us for the first time this season, and he'll be back for even more, it is Norman Transcript Sports Editor, Jesse Crittenden. Jesse, how are you, sir? It's wonderful to be here, man. I've been a big fan of yours uh, since the, you know, the transcript days, uh, you know, 10, 15 million years ago. You know, I've been a fan of yours since then, and I've, I've loved the Eyes on Oklahoma stuff, so it's, it's an honor. I appreciate that. It's, it's really cool to, to meet fans, meet younger folks in the business trying to make their way. So this is a really fun thing. That's why I had you come on as my co-host. Is I'm kind just of giving compliments. Just right? giving back. Yeah. Really. Okay. So I'm glad you could be here. We have college football on Saturday. Oklahoma kicking off its season. We had college football this past Saturday as well. I don't know how much you made your life revolve around football on the last non OU Saturday that you're you know, we're all gonna have for a little bit, but you know, there was football on the TV, Nebraska lost. So really the season's back. Yeah, and we're feeling good. Yeah, nothing has changed from last year to this year. That's that's one thing we know. Nothing at all. Nothing at all. But Jesse and I are here. We will be doing a weekly podcast i don't know you're not paying for this so (laughs) who knows if we'll keep up with it but we we do plan to release weekly episodes with jesse who does a terrific job covering oklahoma for the norman transcript as well as other sports in the cleveland county area jesse does a phenomenal job him and his staff and i don't just say that as former norman transcript sports editor but there's a lot of norman transcript sports editor energy in the podcast conference room right now so we're feeling good we're feeling good jesse we've been at press conferences the past few days and we're about to go speak with players here in a little bit but game week presser always feels it always hits a little different obviously this is completely new staff and completely new faces it's very different just in terms of in previous regime it was lincoln riley alex grinch and that was it and that was the faces of the program. And now you do kind of, I feel like, am I wrong in saying it feels like we have like a bigger, we know more about the coaches than we did previously? No, not at all. I would say, I mean, last year was my first year to, to cover Oklahoma, which was uh, kind of a whirlwind of a season to get started. But, I mean, yeah, I think the feel from, from last year to this year couldn't be different for a lot of different reasons. And, yeah, I think that's one of them. I mean, it's – I mean, you, I feel like you get – it's not even just having a little bit more access to these coaches and we're getting more coaches with Brent Venables and Ted Roof um, and Jeff Levy. But I think especially with, with Brent Venables, you, you see more of his personality too you you get a little bit more of a genuine glimpse into what he's like day to day um so i mean i i think that's really been the biggest thing is it's i mean yeah it's great we're here you know a few days before kickoff and you know there, there's been a lot of benefits from a media perspective in this new coaching change and this new staff but i mean i i think we we do have a better feel for what goes on day to day and and what these coaches are really like so yeah it, it's been a big change Big, big change. I, I feel like one of the things that, and I don't want to say that the last staff wasn't personable because I think that was honestly kind of their mantra. They were very like players coach kind of group. And I think that obviously, I think a lot of fans would agree that kind of got meddled with, you know, where's the accountability and where is, 
you know who's who's the bad cop in the room who's is everyone just saying you know you're doing a good job and it feels like with brent and you know something i asked him about today was just about culture and identity and what he wants that to look like and they're very cliche college football kind of terms that coaches throw around kind of willy-nilly about you know what their culture looks like, what their identity looks like. But the one thing that really struck me and just from, from his uh, answer to my question today was he talked about accountability and he talked about, he almost made it sound like touchdown celebrations (laughs) weren't going to be allowed, (laughs) which honestly, part of me is just like, let them have fun. You know, their kids that, you know, if football is more fun and not even just like their kids, football is fun. And from the NFL to college to high school, I, don't know why you wouldn't celebrate every as someone who has never been close to scoring a touchdown (laughs) i would celebrate it like a super bowl but not the case here oklahoma and brent touched on the fact that this is oklahoma this is a, a standard of success that he is obviously not stepping into a situation where he's trying to rebuild something i think he's trying to rebuild the probably the public perception of like you know he's got to go out and show it because i think a lot of people obviously are still pretty you know cold lukewarm whatever you want to call it on OU. but the his just that was kind of an interesting remark i think a lot of fans probably are yeah like they probably do need to clean up the penalties a little bit which was you know a, a problem i don't think a huge problem as far as celebrations go but like penalties in general i think last year were something that kind of hurt this team from from time to time especially along the offensive line felt like just i don't want to say that that group last year was completely undisciplined they went 11 and 2 i did i did like brent's little tongue-in-cheek comment about yeah. you know 11 to 11 and 2 like a bit of a disappointing year but do you get that sense though of like account? It feel it feels so cliche just even talking about it, but it does feel like this coaching staff, at the very least, like they're preaching it and probably preaching it repeatedly for a reason as far as like what they expect out of each of their players. No, absolutely. And I, I thought your your question to him and and his response was pretty telling. And I think the thing with with Brent, especially in these pressers, is that um he's he says a lot right he, he's a he very <laughs> does not ever stop talking no and trying to transcribe him for stories has been uh a task i think you know at, at times but i think but i think what i've learned and you know in the few months he's been here now is there are real nuggets of of real uh, of genuineness in what he says and, and his answer to you he, he mentioned that you know, spiking a football after a touchdown, these players know what to expect when that happens. And and while I, you're right, I mean, you don't want these kids, you know, you don't want these players to not have fun. But I took two two things away from that. And if you look at last year, I mean, I think the main thing is, yeah, I mean, it's not that they were completely undisciplined, but th- there were issues with that. And I think there were also issues of of a lack of focus. And I think you saw that. Uh, more than once last year, I think the Baylor game uh, it really comes to mind, where it just seemed from the from the jump, this team it, they weren't in the game. They weren't they, on both sides of the ball. There was something lacking, a, a lack of focus or intensity, whatever that is, whatever you want to call it. And I took from that to say that there are expectations from this coaching staff. You know, personally, that would be there regardless, but also from wanting to clean up those mistakes from last year. Yeah, I'm an 11-2 and team. It's hard to criticize, but 
there were, I mean, they're a hop, skip, and a jump away from only winning seven games last year. Uh, I, I really do think so. And I, and I think sometimes it's not from a lack of talent. It's not from a lack of athleticism. I think it was just from a lack of focus. And so, every you know, Brent Venables is going to say this is a new year, and it is. But you still have to think about what happened last year, and I think that was a big issue last year. So I think that was – Maybe maybe that's my own personal takeaway, but I kind of took that from his answer to your question. No, and I, you're completely right, and probably something that isn't even talked about a ton because I, I think that I, I I think that there is this perception that the national media hates Oklahoma, and I don't know if that's necessarily true. The one thing that I do think kind of. Uh, is lost in that some nuance lost in that is the fact that like you mentioned this could have been easily a seven and five OU team last season if they don't get a bunch of breaks and a lot of that comes down to the fact that Oklahoma's recruited really well and it kind of has been a case of like last year was like a great kind of case study and like this team is too talented to lose you know that many games and they showed that and they went 11 and 2 the thing that is kind of weird though is like you remember this time in November when Oklahoma was 9-0 and and we all kind of knew the score like this team like they are 9-0 and but like this isn't like a 9-0 and team this was, is an undefeated caliber team it, it was the most fragile fraud 9-0 and ever and again not trying to be overly harsh but I mean that's the truth and that's why you get to the Baylor game and Baylor not only won that game but dominated both sides of the ball, which was incredible considering that Oklahoma again has the talent advantage like they do over every team. And you, I mean, you bring in a guy like Brent Venables to correct that kind of thing because I mean, I'm just not sure that you ever stylistically or really get to a point recruiting wise that like the players that the last staff, I guess, favored favored in terms of what they wanted their program to look like it didn't look like what baylor had which is just a weird thing to say (laughs) over the last decade to baylor's credit which i don't like giving baylor a ton of credit but i do like dave aranda and they have transformed him and matt rule i also like matt rule baylor somehow hit it on the head back to back with those coaches and they are just a more physically imposing team and when I go when I talk about the national media, the reason I bring that up is just a lot of OU fans, I think, rightfully complained about Lincoln Riley, and I feel like it's very easy to like kind of almost feel like gaslit in a way by national media. It's like, sure, sure, you wanted Lincoln Riley fired because I think there are a lot of fans that like, no, 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 like we 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 weren't happy with Lincoln Riley last year, which I think is the case for a lot of fans. But it is weird when it gets thrown back in the face of fans that they went 11 and two. It's just like, yeah, but like they're essentially opposite Nebraska, which was three and nine. Very easily could have been a 10 win football team if literally like seven or eight, seven or eight one score games, something yeah, they like didn't, that. All of their losses were by single digits. All of them. it's ridiculous yeah. that that I, I guess that that nuance isn't necessarily applied just it there's a lot of hypocrisy within college football discourse i think we all kind of kind of understand that but it just that, that's felt like a weird thing but you know i sorry we, we're spending time talking about last year's team oklahoma has a game on saturday against utep well in turning that back in, that's why i think why fans are looking forward so much to this year in this team and this coach is 
I think to I mean because Brent Venables isn't just tasked with picking up the pieces of the end of last year. It's it's also about putting the putting the pieces that are here that are at OU together. It's about putting that talent together, adding that culture, you know, adding the culture that he talks about, adding that intensity, physicality. These words he repeats over and over. I mean, that's I mean, I think he's been tasked with a lot of things that a lot of new coaches aren't, and that's why I think there is excitement about this first game. Is are you going to be able to see? A difference on the field maybe Oklahoma wins by 50 points maybe maybe it's a close game but do you see a different energy a different focus on the team that wasn't there last year yeah and I, th- I think that kind of with that putting it all together it does kind of make you wonder as Oklahoma released its first depth chart of the season on Monday some of the guys that established themselves as starters that I'm not going to say I didn't see every one of these guys starting but you kind of look around and i mean john hoover kind of went right for it today uh, at today's presser like i mean Jaden davis starting cornerback which i think is for a lot of fans like and (laughs) i mean you know john even was went as far as to kind of like because brent was just like well who who were they expecting to to start at corner and john was like well dj graham which he's currently listed as the uh second i was gonna say there there are not that many ores on the on this step chart which is a very refreshing thing to see yeah. but the fact that dj graham has solidified himself above connie walker um it, I, I mean it goes to show that you know Jaden davis is he's doing something right brent said that he's just been the most consistent and has kind of earned that role he did touch on this and it kind of makes me wonder for a guy like a joshua eaton or a cj colden or a connie walker he did kind of mention that the secondary has been banged up through fall camp and it's just kind of been a matter of who's been on the field and who's been able to kind of show a large enough sample size to secure those spots. Now we're still waiting on a few of the, the one of the few positions other than your two interior defensive linemen, which uh, he listed, you know, two oars for, for those positions, but your free safety key Lawrence and Justin Broyles um, getting the oar there, which once again, it, it's like Key Lawrence last year. I think you could make the argument, other than you know maybe like a, a Nick Nick Benito, Brian Osamoa, he's one of the most important players on that team. He's one of the most important players on that unit, and you're telling me that he might not be a starter. And not only that, and I'm not trying to bash the guy, but you know sixth year senior Justin Broyles, who came on I think last year and played better than he has shown before but he's not been the guy that I think Oklahoma thought they were getting. And the fact that he's kind of turned it around, was that surprising to you to see Key Lawrence and Justin Broyles still kind of going at it? Yeah, certainly. And like you mentioned, especially in a, in a depth chart that doesn't have a lot of oars on it, particularly when it comes to the starting spot. So, yeah, I, I think that I think that was surprising to me. But I think one of the things I, I was really curious from the depth chart perspective, because I mean, this is, this is such a unique season for Oklahoma, especially when you look at the roster part of it, you've got so many transfers that were not on this team a year ago. You've got so many uh, younger freshmen on this team. And and then, I mean, of course you have some, some guys that were on the team last year, but you put all of that together with a new staff who is likely going to make, you know, different, uh, is going to have different evaluations on players. They're going to prioritize different things. And you mentioned like with Jaden Davis, who, I mean, he mentioned, you know, that, that uh, veteran, you know, experience or leadership was going to be important. And so it, in some ways you mentioned maybe, maybe some injuries and stuff played a part 
of it. But someone like Jaden Davis, who, I mean, it makes sense. A senior in that room has been on the team for a long time. Maybe with this new staff, with a lot of new pieces on this roster, maybe that's the type of thing they're looking for. And but and then going back to, to free safety, yeah. I mean, I, I think – I think I was interested, but again, I mean, I, I think it's very possible that this coaching staff is looking at, at different things that the previous coaching staff didn't, and maybe it's scheme. How does Key Lawrence fit into the scheme? What has he shown? I mean, it's so. I mean, I, I still, while the depth chart, I think, sh- showed a lot of things, I do think there are still some things yet, you know, that we haven't seen yet. Yeah, there's a lot to be worked out, and that's kind of what I tried to drive home in my newsletter. Is just like things are going to change, things are going to be, things are going to be different. Like just because these are the week one starters doesn't mean they're going to be starters for the entire season. I would be very shocked, especially as I kind of look at the offensive line, which was, I was very surprised. Just to kind of switch over to that side of the ball for a second, I was really shocked. Not one offensive starter, by the way. Every, like every one of them was like solidified at the top spot, no oars on the offensive side. And I was very shocked to see that from an offensive line standpoint, just because just not even Oklahoma, but in general, it is difficult to identify unless they're all returning from the previous year. But when you're replacing three starting spots, I'll tell you right now, this starting five might very, I would, I would be shocked if it wasn't a little different, like a different guy um, at one of the guard spots. I was kind of, you know, surprised to not see a, a Savion, Boer, Sa- Savion, Savion Bird. This is not a hard name at all. Uh, Savion Bird. Um, Tyler Guyton has been getting a lot of praise this offseason. He'll start off as a reserve. But I do think that the way that Bill Biedenboe kind of operates and why the – I think that there is a little bit to the fact that Oklahoma has been a team that, you know th- – once again, kind of an obvious statement. They have been a team that has gotten better as the season went along, and I think that is because of kind of how how uh, how Bill Beatonbow manages that room, and it's just it affects it affects the offense quite a bit. And I think that you know when you kind of look at this group, you have a lot of guys that have to you know. I, I don't want to say it's prove it years because I, I would hate to say that about a, a guy like Andrew Rain, but like you know he he for a lot of last year Rain Robert Conjol kind of getting shuffled there whether it was due to COVID or injuries or whatever what have you but Andrew Rain's got a I mean even though he's one of the you know quote unquote returning starters like I think he's got a big big year ahead of him but then you bring in a guy like McCade Matower who's the Cal transfer who secures a guard spot and then Chris Murray retains his spot but Savion Bird Jake Taylor I think they're still very much in that mix um, and then on your tackles I still think that you know even though I think we feel probably better about what Wanye Morris and Anton Harrison have done just based off what we've heard that the entire offseason Anton Harrison and, and Wanye Morris still have to go out there and prove it and that's I mean, those are two fairly – I mean, they're not inexperienced. I mean, Juan A. Morris has played SEC football. Anton Harrison has played meaningful snaps. But this is a, this is a time where can you put it together for 14 games and can you give Dylan Gabriel the time to be an efficient quarterback? Because that's the thing that for a lot of Big 12 teams I think are trying to answer right now is like, do we have an offensive line other than like Baylor? Uh, do we have an offensive line that's going to keep our quarterback upright? And there's not a lot of proven quarterbacks in this league. Um, but yeah, that offensive line is, it, it, it's going to be interesting to watch, even though I'm sure probably not a ton of you are <laughs> maybe looking at the offensive line as, as, as intently as, as a few of us, but it's a, uh, it is a interesting 
season for them. I think we've kind of touched on this before, but just it's just felt like this offensive line has not been as physical as it once was specifically during the Benny Wiley era of the strength and conditioning program at Oklahoma. And maybe I'm just setting myself up to, you know, be disappointed. I just truly think that Jerry Schmidt, I I can't imagine it doesn't make some huge difference with as many blue chip guys as they have in that room. Now I can't think of a player, uh, especially even during spring practices from, from that time on, I can't think of a player that, that hasn't talked about um, the impact that the Jerry Schmidt has had. And that, I mean, there's some, I mean, a lot of the, a lot of the, the horror stories, it's probably a strong way of putting it, but a lot of the, <laughs> I phrased it that way. Like I, I had a, I've, I've had a few like former players on the pod and I always like, do you have any Jerry Schmidt horror stories? And I feel like if i keep saying it like that like jerry schmidt's gonna find out right and he's gonna make me run stairs um if i could do it once if i could run up the stairs once i would consider that a win forever i i'd I'd take that at 52 years old brent venables just just post press conference he's running stairs and and by the way if you if you don't live in oklahoma or live in norman it has been brutal the past few days and he's been doing stadium steps, and I'm actually kind of as we go talk to players here in a little bit. I'm I want to ask them like, how do you feel about like having your having your head coach who's just working out by himself stadium steps? Like, I feel like as a player, that's got to I don't know. Maybe I'm looking too much into it, but I feel like <laughs> I feel, I'm just like that's a cool thing to see your coach like out there like you know going out and doing that kind of work because let me tell you, man, like. Those stadium steps, like if you've if you have had the privilege of being inside that stadium and and walking up and down them, that is not a fun that is not a fun thing. No, it's it's certainly not. Um, and that's I mean it it is. It, but I mean I think again that's an example of how I mean Brent Venables, the the person that we see in press conferences, the person we see after practices. I mean that that is the I mean he is intense and players will attest that he is that intense all of the time. That's how his motor runs and. And if there are any fans that remember his days, that you know, on the defensive staff here before he left for Clemson, I mean, he might be the most intense coach on any sideline. I mean, that's how he is. Um, so, I mean, but I mean, but but going back to um, going back to the offensive line, I think I think these first three games are going to be. I mean, this is a rare season where the non-conference schedule. I mean, not that at Nebraska isn't going to have its challenges. But I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if these first three games are going to be a, a big litmus test for a group like the offensive line. I mean, you play UTEP, then Kent State, and uh, then Nebraska. Or do we see some shuffling? Do we see a lot of different combinations? Because not only just about giving players opportunities, but are there certain combinations that work? So, especially with the new staff, I I, th- I think that's what I'm expecting is these first these, this non conference schedule for these coaches to take advantage of taking a real look at that offensive line yeah no i think that's i think that's a good point just in terms of kind of what we've been talking about a lot of the offseason oklahoma schedule sets up really well for them and to get utep and kent state which utep is coming off of a week zero loss to north texas didn't look terrible we'll talk a little bit about utep here in a bit but they lose that one and kind of it's funny what a privilege it is that brent venables not only gets one team playing week zero that he'll see in the next few weeks but two and getting north you know getting utep and nebraska just feels like almost like a cheat code in a little bit like i mean he's already got film on him which you know i'm not saying that like 
these coaches haven't probably been pouring over whatever they can get their hands on from 2021, but you know, they, they can, they have a better idea. And I, I do think that the next, especially the next two weeks, if, if you can kind of figure out some things these next two weeks and then maybe have a bit of confidence going to Nebraska, which still things could change. And I think that honestly, the one, the, the game that in September that really I think is probably the one that everyone's kind of overlooking just because of the fact that Oklahoma goes up to Nebraska, but the week after OU plays Kansas, Kansas State, State Norman That's, and I've I've had that circled for yeah. for months now that that game is I mean to open your Big 12 schedule like that uh, I know you get it at home, but that's, I mean, you're absolutely right. And it's, I mean, there's not, there's no real smooth transition from non-conference to the conference schedule. I mean, State. I guess you could be happy it's in Norman, but this is a Kansas State team that has proven that they can beat OU and Norman. Uh, I believe, if, I, if I'm not mistaken, they, I mean, they beat them twice um, in Norman over the past, you know, since 24, they beat them in 2014 and then they obviously beat them in 2020. Um but yeah, this is just a good Kansas State team that is well coached. They are they are my pick to make it to the Big Twelve title game and play uh, play Oklahoma, which I think is it, it was kind of a fun thing to talk about. I don't know if you feel this way, but like I feel like in May and June it was just like, hey, watch out for Kansas State, and then like July it was just like Kansas State, kind of a sneaky team, and then like it's like everyone's picking Kansas State to make the Big Twelve title game, and it's just not as cool anymore, and it's not as. Uh, fresh of a take but i do think that or that oklahoma especially on defense because i do think that k-state's defense can you know be really good this season but i just want to know how brent venables prepares for a guy like deuce vaughn and whatever kansas state ends up doing with adrian martinez who will have an offensive coordinator and a guy like colin klein who's essentially 2012 adrian martinez so that is a that is a game that i think that people probably on a regional national scale aren't looking at but i think i you know OU fans and probably probably are very excited to kind of get that one in the books and maybe potentially a rematch is in store in arlington in a few months which in that case you know probably good to have them toward the beginning of the schedule where I don't, I'm, not, I'm not a big fan of the this might be a hot take i'm not a big fan of like the back-to-back weeks like ou was obviously very close to playing oklahoma state back-to-back weeks if they pull out battle last year not a big fan. No, no, and that's I think the kid in me that that lo- you know you know what feels like historic Big Twelve uh, now with you know when you had the North and South, uh, you didn't play everybody. We just sound old. Now. I know. <laughs> well, I mean, I I'm, I remember one of my earliest memories is that OU K State uh, Big Twelve title game where Kansas State. Uh, what's the nicest way I can put it? Made OU look foolish. In that in that two thousand three big that thirty five seven game, I was I, I was obviously not old enough to drink, but I I, I think I <laughs> retroactively once I got older suppressed that one with it's, as much alcohol as I could. Well, and then, and then OU still somehow made the national title game. Yeah. Anyways, um, yeah, no, I think I think there's like not a traditionalist, but there was something in me that was when they brought the Big Twelve title game back a few years ago. I was really excited, but now I'm starting to see when you already play everybody once. And there's no break between the end of the regular season and, and yeah, that's that's a really tough. And I mean, it's and it, and it almost goes against a team like Oklahoma that's been so dominant in conference play over the last few years because I was gonna say I mean because I'm now I mean it's so hard to beat any of these conference teams twice. Yeah. Now you're so yeah, even if Oklahoma gets the better of Kansas State the first game, if they meet again, I mean that's 
it's not a game I'm feeling great about. Yeah, and I was going to say the title games were mostly interesting. I mean, 2017 OU took TCU to task in the second half is probably the nicest way of putting that. No. Uh, but And then 2018, 2019 – uh, they have to squeak games out against Texas and Baylor, have go to OT against Baylor, and then 2020 they played Iowa, Iowa State, State yeah. and they needed, I mean, they needed some late help to, to pull that one out. But when that was Oklahoma dominating, you know, six straight Big 12 titles, all that, it, it just, it, it did feel kind of redundant in the fact that, like, man, this is, this is, like, could really change the i don't want to say the trajectory but like i mean it just feels like you're not helping the health of your own conference by making your you know you're making your number one team play for the big 12 title against a team they've already beaten presumably but you're just kind of hurting your college football playoff chances which i think as we've seen over the last you know almost a decade now that the college football playoff has been around these leagues have no clue and i i i think it's you know because it's still so new and still everything is kind of changing with realignment but it just feels like some of these leagues just don't know what's best for them because they'll make decisions and then the sport will kind of change uh because it was obviously important to the big 12 to add the big 12 championship game back after baylor and tcu were left out but you can't sit here and tell me that oklahoma in 2017 or 2018 or whenever they were the the you know the top team in the conference you know at the end of the regular season that the brand name of oklahoma isn't going to make the playoff it was you know it helped it would have helped a team like baylor or tcu i think to have that extra data point which was uh, a buzzword during that time that got very annoying very quick but regardless Fun Big Twelve championship game tangent on, on week one. Well, well, I think, but I mean, uh, I mean, having said that, I mean, going, I mean, I think Kansas State is, a, I mean, is a real threat. Uh, certainly, Oklahoma State, certainly Baylor. Uh, if the Texas memes ever go away and they actually realize, hey, they have really good athletes and should be competitive. Uh, if that happens this year, Texas would be a. I mean, that's a that's a tough team. All that to say, I'm I'm always a fan of of having a, a really prominent non-conference you know a, a top-ranked non-conference opponent and again not to overlook nebraska uh, and that will be a tough game in lincoln but with how new this staff is with this new roster of players it, it, these first two non-conference games in particular are going to be really important and i think assuming oklahoma pulls both of these out you know i, I think it is i think that we are going to see a lot of uh, of tinkering and i do think there are going to be I think it will still be hard to make real full takeaways after week one or week two, but I mean, I, I think we'll see a lot of tinkering, and I do think these first couple of games are are really important, even if Oklahoma should be heavily favored. Re- regardless of the result, I do plan to write a either fire Brent Venables column if they don't win by enough, or obviously if they lose. So I am ready to go full week one overreaction. Jesse sounds like he is not. I am. No, I'm no, I'm I'm right there with you. I'm 100%. willing to go for it. Yeah. Jesse, as we kind of close out a discussion about depth chart that took a lot of different turns. Anything else to jump out at you? Uh I mean, I, I do I mean not not anything that was super shocking other than I mean, obviously we we've got some we got some light on the backup. Um quarterback position uh and, and and even at running back i think i mean marcus major it's i think sometimes it's hard when 
you get into preseason, everybody's going to talk up everybody, right? That's it's hard to really discern what's real and we call it talking season for a reason. People. We do, we do, and I love talk. It's great. Hey, writing stories, it's talking season. I love it. It's great. Um, Page views are good. That's people that's are right. happy. Everyone's uh, everyone's undefeated. Yeah, and they do, and they do it for us in the media. And I, you know what, I really appreciate that. I do. It's really nice of them. But uh, Marcus Major had been one of the guys that had been really talked up. Um, throughout the last few weeks. And again, it's kind of hard to figure out what really is real. Not that any of it's fake, but what, what is real and tangible. And so, I mean, I, I think seeing Marcus Major as a clear number two on the depth chart tells me, I mean, he's not just, I, I don't think he's just going to be a, a change of pace every, you know, every now and then kind of back. I, do, I think he's going to have a real role on this team. And it will be interesting to see, you know, him play when uh, some things have taken him off the field for one reason or another, since he's been at OU. Um, but I think that was the main thing. And I'm, I think in this first game, I'm going to really look at the running back room. I mean, especially, I mean, even compared to last year when Eric Gray got the start, which I think was kind of surprising when it seemed like Kennedy Brooks was going to be the guy. And then eventually that is what happened. But what is that dynamic going to be like between Eric Gray and Marcus Major? And, hey, is anybody else in that room? Is Tui Walkers, Javante Barnes, are they going to get um, any runs? So, anyways, looking at a specific position, not that that was shocking, but it, it, it seems like that talk about Marcus Major is real, and I'm curious to see, you know, how big of a role is, does he have on Saturday? Is it 20% of snaps? Is it 40% of snaps? Does he – I mean, does he get four carries? Does he get ten? It, what, how is he used? That kind of stuff. I do big wonder, running back guy, me. Love, I mean, I think that running backs are one of the more more interesting storylines heading into this year. And as you kind of look at this, it's kind of a strange parallel. If you look at 2017, Oklahoma opens up its year against UTEP, as they do this year. They also had a first-year head coach that year as well. Who was it? Uh, who, was the first, who was the first-year coach that year? I believe his name is It's T-something. T, I can't put my finger on it, but you're gonna have to you're gonna have to cut this part of it. We're gonna have to Google. Might have to Google that one. But 2017 team also a lot of question marks around about around the running back room, which took about a month to get figured out before Rodney Anderson was just like, "Hey, I'm here." It's 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 me. (laughs) I'm the guy. I'm him. (laughs) Eric Gray, I hope for your sake that you are him as well because senior year it's it's a big year for him but i think that when you look at a a a unit that has so much young talent that i don't know if the leash is short but if you start seeing javante barnes or marcus major even tawi walker who walk on who i did not expect to talk about in late august but here he is competing for snaps he clearly is a part of the plan in some in some respect hey, he showed something at the spring game too i thought he i thought he looked like he had burst and he won the know. i mean it's an overused joke but i mean he won the dominique whaley spring game award where he's an actual walk-on that might actually plant there's always a few that you're just like wow that guy looks amazing yeah. the, the the walk-on from I'm actually I'm, i was about to say a high school um but i i'm actually gonna refrain from that but you know what i'm talking about it is a interesting running back room in terms of the competition i think that eric gray i don't th- I, I think that he's the most dynamic of that group and especially hey i don't know get him out in space it's, he seems to do really well with that seems kind of weird that they never went back to that well they just kept thinking let's run him up the, run middle. Up the middle 
I think it's two different things. I think it's I think it's okay to be a little skeptical about. I mean, is Eric Gray the number one leader for or the number one guy in that room every game? He gets the bulk of the touches. He's the workhorse. I think that's okay to be a little skeptical. But on the other hand, I think it's also okay to look at his stats from last year and actually say, hey, he. I mean, he was a little disappointing in terms of I think people expected more from him. But if you actually look at his stats, he he did have success when used properly. He just wasn't used that properly he's not a kennedy brooks run in between the tackles get four or five yards every play but so yeah i mean are i mean it's not even from a does eric gray succeed or or fail or whatever but it's how is he how is he used in the offense and do we see an even split or no i mean not even but i mean what does that split look like in that background or backfield i'd love to know i mean i'm gonna call brent tonight ask him get him on the phone yeah tell me i mean we can talk about it tomorrow during me and Brent's breakfast at the diner. Actually, we're more of a Juan del Fuego kind of kind of family. Want to give them the plug? Yeah. I mean, I do like the diner, but I've been thinking about Juan del Juan del Fuego. Can't speak today, man. Something about being back at the transcript is just like really, you know. We're recording this at the Norman Transcript in Norman, Oklahoma. If you weren't aware, we are we're recording this, but I'm a. Uh, back in the old newsroom and maybe it's just like got me emotional choked up a little bit just i could tell kind of a kind of feels like a homecoming a little bit uh, yeah right. regardless you mentioned something earlier that i thought was interesting as far as you know you come into a program you inherit a lot of good pieces and brent is tasked with kind of tinkering with the team that has already obviously been through it with the last staff and has whole other playing experiences with that group and playing in positions that they might not necessarily play this year. I mean, you kind of look at the secondary a little bit and like, you know, Billy, Billy Bowman at, you know, at safety, you got key Lawrence at safety, which last year, those two guys moved around nonstop. And now you potentially have a new home for, you know, Deshaun white, Justin Harrington at that cheetah, which got a lot of talk today at Brent's uh, first uh, you know, game, uh, you know, game week press conference. Um, but it's just interesting to see. I, I, I think as far as like the, the, the one that I just kind of wanted to call out is just, I, I think that Oklahoma has a lot of options to go with, which by the way, sorry, I, I do want to cut myself off for one second. I'm so, gl- I just noticed they are no longer calling them halfbacks and they're calling them tight ends, uh, which is just amazing. Um, I, I love seeing that, uh, regardless. Um, Marvin Mims listed at the slot, which is interesting uh, in a very Brian Windhorse kind of way. <laughs> why would they do that? Now, why would they do that? Uh, you have some talent, though, at receiver. Theo East, if he is healthy, I think that he can be one of the best receivers in the Big 12. The rest of the league just doesn't know it yet because he has not been healthy. But then there's Jalil Farouk, who, you know, the two of them, obviously, I think that they both are talented enough to play outside. But, man, you've got got a deep ball threat like marvin mims and you're gonna i'm not saying that he can't make stuff happen in the slot but just it felt like last year they they tinkered with that a little bit moved him around a little bit did not seem like he was as effective coming out of that but it also just kind of makes me wonder what's jeff labby up to yeah what's he thinking um and i'm not saying that in a bad way i don't want anyone to take that negative i'm just curious what does this offense look like when you can get Theo Weiss, Marvin Mims, Jalil Fruit, possibly even more receivers on the field? I'd love a five-wide set, but 
an interesting group, and I think that when you go down the list, Jesse, I don't think there's any shortage of talent. It's just it, we need some proof of concept. That's what I mean. That's why I think I think this season opener. Obviously, any season opener is going to come with excitement, but I think this game against UTEP. Uh, yeah, it's the start of the Brent Venables era and all that stuff. But for on the field, X's and O's, I think is actually going to be really interesting. Even if Oklahoma uh, has no issues with with beating UTEP, I do think. Uh, and looking at the offensive side of the ball, I think I think it is going to be interesting to see from an X's and O standpoint what Jeff Lebby is doing with this offense. Because again, this is this is a really unique situation that they walked into. Because I mean, even coaching changes aren't irregular, but typically until the last couple of years with the transfer portal you walk in with a relatively similar roster to what you had last year. That's not really what this team has walked into. And not to mention, you know, you mentioned guys like Theo Wies that were hurt last year. So, yeah, I'm, I'm curious, what kind of offensive sets do we see? How many receivers do we see on the field at one time? Do we see any two running back sets, two tight end sets? Um, so, I mean, not that I think we're going to see the, the full 100% playbook, but, I mean, I think for me that is going to be one of the things I look for on Saturday, assuming the game is – uh, not super competitive. Maybe it is, but um, what is Jeff Levy doing with this offense? We've heard all offseason about tempo, 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 but I mean, as far as what they're actually trying to accomplish, X's and O's, what does it look like? I'm not trying to compare him to the competency level of Will Arnett's small cameo in the office where he's applying for Michael Scott's job <laughs> and they're like asking him what his three part plan is to make the branch more profitable and he doesn't want to give them the plan unless he's hired. I'm not saying that it's just like, <laughs> so what's the plan is kind of where I'm at. But I, I you know, obviously in this conversation just really makes me want preseason exhibitions, almost like the NFL, but probably, probably not exhibitions scrimmages Yeah, in Oklahoma, Arkansas scrimmage, like first week of August would be electric. Yeah. It would, you could probably, recoup a lot of financial losses just letting people in the door i would i i mean you know for our for our line of work we'd probably want to watch it just for for our own benefit but right it just would be great if college football teams could uh could figure out a way to i know why they will never do it but it'd be cool because then we'd have a, a better sense of what's going on here because yeah it, it's a lot of up tempo up tempo i was as i don't know if you do this during the off season um and probably better off if you don't but love going back and watching old games and like watching like sam bradford era and like what i'm, I'm doing quote unquote right now with my fingers is that up tempo of that time and how different it is yeah. from like Jeff Levy at UCF and Ole Miss. It is different. It yeah. is a different sport, which is not a crazy, bold, outlandish observation, but I just, it's, it's so different. And it, it makes me wonder just kind of looking at some of the Jeff Levy teams as well. How do you utilize a guy like Marvin Mims out of the slot? If, if that's where he stays, I mean, how do you incorporate these running backs? Kind of like what we said with Eric Gray. Like there were so many times where it just felt like, Hey, I don't know when you dumped it off to him in the flats and he had just had like one cornerback to get around. He seemed like he did really he well. Did with that. Yeah. But there, uh, th this is, a uh, this is interesting just from a point of view that I, I feel like is any coaching change. It's obviously brings a lot of questions, but it's kind of nice going into a season and like, there's you know obviously there's probably a lot of 
hesitation and kind of worry about like, well, what is this going to look like? But at the same time, I do think there's, there's a lot of coming off of 2021 where I felt like the offense just did not play anywhere to what people thought it was going to be. And then you have a defense that in 2021 was promised to be one of the best Oklahoma's had probably in 12, 13 years that you insert Brent Venables into the situation and you insert Jeff Levy into the situation and a staff that I think for the most part, most people like the approval rating of the staff, they haven't played a game yet, but it's pretty high as far as like what we've know about these guys from past jobs and kind of what they've been able to accomplish. I mean, you go out and get a head coach like Brent Venables who who knows what winning a national championship looks like. And there's few coaches, even though he wasn't the head coach, there's few coaches that know what that looks like. Now, I don't think Oklahoma's go out is going to go out and win a Big 12 title this year, but uh, or sorry, national title this year. I, I think that they can go out and <laughs> win a Big 12 title. Sorry, please don't clip that and put it anywhere. <laughs> I don't think that OU's going to win a national title. I, I think OU is very capable of winning a Big 12 title, and Brent Venables is a big, big reason for that. And they'll get their first test on Saturday. Did you get to watch any of the UTEP North Texas game? I got, I got to watch. I got to watch the first half. Which um, did you have to pay for it, or I, I waited till the next day because like I had like the little prompt, and I was just like, "I'm sorry, Stadium. I, <laughs> Maybe next time." I uh, I did not have to. Yeah, okay. Well, regardless of how you regardless of how you consumed <laughs> the game by whatever means you did it, that's cool. I was there. I went. I went to the game. That would there. be a power like honestly imagine getting sent out like we as a newspaper reporter like we need you to go cover the other team. The team that's coming here next week. Honestly, that doesn't sound too far fetched from like not. 20, 30 years ago. Right. But um, but no, I got to watch a little bit of it. I mean, I don't. I th- I want to be clear when when I say that I think I don't expect Oklahoma UTEP to be super competitive. I don't. I don't think that OU is going to come out and win and be up sixty to nothing in the first quarter. UTEP. I mean, they. I mean, they won some games last year. Um, they're not. They're not this D two nothing kind of program. They have some talent on that roster. Um, Oklahoma should be heavily favored to win, but I actually, and I think part of why I'm interested is because UTEP. I mean, it's a game OU should win and should win fairly easily. But I, UTEP is not going to just roll over. They have a little bit of talent on both sides of the ball, and so yeah, I think you know, zeroing in on somebody like Marvin Mims, Mims, a guy who I just he just didn't look comfortable last year. And yeah, this this coaching staff, particularly particularly Jeff Levy, is tasked with not only integrating these new players into the system and also getting his system in place, but using these guys that were current, that were on the roster last year and, and using them more effectively, using them differently. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't think we're going to learn everything we're going to learn about this team in week one, but I think unless I'm wrong, which I'm never wrong ever about anything. Uh, so I'm going to be right in saying that I do think there will be some some real takeaways, and we will have all of us media fans, everybody will have a better understanding of of what this coaching staff wants to do and what both sides of the of what both sides of the ball look like. I know you're never wrong. I'm not. I subscribe. Subscribe. Did you win picks last year? Wait, what? The the pick'em. Sorry. I oh shoot. Um, I should remember if I did. 
Um, I did because I'm never wrong. The but bane of, I can't remember for sure. The bane of my existence as a newspaper reporter was submitting weekly picks as if, A, I don't really gamble. Um, yeah. And I, I mean, I look at spreads quite a bit just because I'm interested in C, but like I always hated submitting like, you know, you, you've you all have picked up a newspaper before on a Saturday morning. Like they had the picks from all the writers as if they know what's going to happen in Minnesota, Wisconsin. <laughs> I want, I want to say, cause Ryan Broles was a guest picker for all of last year. And I want to say Ryan Broles won last year. I want football to say. guy. Football yeah, guy. He played at one point. Um, yeah. I remember when Ryan Broyles was at Oklahoma and his last year, wait, no, this, this segue doesn't work. He, he, he was done in 2011. I was going to say in 2012, it was the last time that they had to go to UTEP. And it was that weird because TCU ruined it for everybody had to join the big 12. Oh, you had TCU in their non-conference that year. They had to change it last minute. And the best they could do was scrounge up a road trip at like 9 PM kickoff against UTEP, which turned out to be like 24 to 7 yeah. OU victory and it was not it was not pretty it was not it pretty. was not pretty at all i so hey perfect example right there though uh that i mean i mean obviously it's a lot of different circumstances but hey look at last year with uh with the two lane game and how close that was i mean that is the thing I, it wouldn't it wouldn't be shocking to me uh, well it wouldn't be the most unimaginable thing in the world if Saturday's game is not a total blowout. It, it wouldn't be. The one thing I do know. It wouldn't be. Jesse, the one thing I do know about Saturday. Tell me what you know. Is that no one is going to take their pads off at halftime when the game is <laughs> clearly in OU's favor. I don't think anyone's wow. going to be in the third quarter just like, oh, we got this. I'm scared thinking about what Brent Venables would do. I mean if somebody did that I, I would be worried for that player's uh safety but yeah. no i don't think this game this weekend is obviously too big of a challenge uh just kind of looking over what utep did and i i was able to watch a little bit there. i mean the th- the guy i was really impressed with and he had some not so shining moments but tyron smith uh the receiver for them led them with 127 yards receiving and seven catches last week he is number one i believe yeah he's a sophomore he's five foot seven short king um he is a dude uh or at least i think he has the makings of a dude and i I, the fact that uh utep's quarterback which actually accidentally just closed out this tab uh so i'm not gonna say his name but 48 passing attempts so ou secondary if if that's i mean in a game where and obviously you're you're trying to get back you're trying to trying to move the ball down the field best way to if, if running is not your identity obviously you know throw up at 48 passing completion or 48 passing attempts uh game one is uh a lot and especially to not even like hit 300 yards passing um impressive honestly <laughs> but i think OU secondary whether or not you know i, I there were some there were some good from utep they they really missed some chances to make that a closer game than it was but i do think at the end of the day Oklahoma just too talented to lose this game it could be close as far as like we've seen this before last year obviously was one of them but it's week one and when we talk about you know at the beginning the accountability like trying to be disciplined that might not be their week one that might not be polished the first game of the season yeah I, I would say fans don't don't 
don't freak out. Just don't. I mean, just don't. Yeah, I'll just period. Just, I'll just leave it at that. Let's just be chill. I mean, for a little bit. Don't don't freak out if this isn't a sixty to seven OU win. That's okay. If, it, if it's if it's a repeat of last year, like in the same sort, like just like the team kind of put up. it into cruise control and gave up, I would be concerned. No, sure, but if if you're seeing effort if you're seeing real efforts and if the things and if any mistakes that happen are purely from a hey this is a new team new coaching staff there are there's chemistry to still build that kind of stuff i mean i'm not saying there's literally nothing you could be concerned about but if it's not a total blowout from beginning to end and it does look like there's still some kinks to work out that's okay do you uh you know the most useful thing in college football being a beat writer is giving out a score prediction sure what do you got um well again well this isn't a prediction because again i'm i'm right about everything so uh the score will be 49 to 10 oklahoma i think i can i think i can get there i i hope that if and if you made it this far i think you've been you've been you should be rewarded for be i hope you know that me and jesse are just very tongue-in-cheek and very uh (laughs) Please, please don't take too much of what we say. I mean, other than the football analysis, which is correct. It's real. um, Don't take it too seriously. We're just kind of joking around. But I think Oklahoma, and I I mostly just say this because, like, I think score predictions are kind of dumb. (laughs) But I I do – I I mean, I am curious to kind of know where your thoughts are at. Because, like, I mean, I'm of the the mindset that, like, I think this is a game that OU easily can get into the 40s. And, you know, if they keep – UTEP under 20 that's a that's a victory right there I uh, just in terms of I mean North Texas just did it a week ago so you would think that uh, Oklahoma with its talent could also maybe duplicate that success but it has it does feel like a coaching staff just based off of what we have heard from Brent Venables that they, I, I hope it's I hope it's not a case of like lowering expectations but like they don't so much seem focused and not that really coaches talk about like we want to blow out these guys but he talks so much about like you know results aren't the only thing that we care about and i i guess part of me as a first year head coach i i want to believe him now if there's a pattern of like you know i think people got really tired of OU losing games they weren't supposed to over the last five years and OU's head coach at the time telling everyone you know they're a really good team we're and we're really close I I think people got really tired of that and I think that this staff deserves I I think some grace with trying to implement what they're trying to what they're trying to get and it's it's not something that just happens week one the situation that Lincoln Riley walked into in 2017 is not the situation that Brent Venables walked into this season. So if they don't make the playoff, I don't think it's fair to compare the you know, the two. I, when I brought up the parallels, I just I don't want to make it sound like Brent not making the playoff would be a failure because it's a different it's a different story. But I, I think at the end of the day, this is uh, this is going to be a long season. Just in, I'm not I'm not saying like in in terms of like a negative or anything like that, but it it always gets us we have these grand ideas of what it's going to be it's going to change from week to week and jesse and i will be here to hash it all out talk things through absolutely i'm looking forward to that i am too i hope you all are as well jesse thank you so much this has been the eyes in oklahoma podcast we're available on all major podcast platforms
And if you use that Apple Podcast app, leave us a five-star rating and review. It helps get the word out about the show, and it helps feed us as well. Mm. Apple sends us a little shit. No, they actually don't. They don't send us a check. That'd be cool, though, if they did. Um, But yeah, leave us a review. So, Jesse, um, we'll be back recapping UTEP next week, previewing, probably not previewing a lot of Kent State, but we'll be recapping. We'll be doing we'll do be we'll be doing some podcasting. Mm-hmm. That'll happen. Look forward to that. So, mm-hmm. thank you all for listening. For Jesse Crittenden, my name is Joe Bettner, and we will catch you next week. Thank you, guys.